Hello and welcome back to Ayahuasca Assisted Therapy podcast with this new episode. And I'm really excited to be here today with Patrick Prohaska and dive into a deep conversation about sexual healing and science and mysticism and plant medicine and the mother ayahuasca. So thank you so much for being here with us today. Well, thank you for inviting me. It's a joy to be here with you. <laughs> so uh, I always start the podcast to, to get to know people a little bit better. Just to, if you want to share something about your journey in terms of your path uh, in general, you know, when you were younger and how it did cross path with the plant medicine and healing and how did this beautiful thing evolved what you're offering and doing today? I came to plant medicine in a roundabout way. So for decades, I studied mysticism and spirituality and world religions, but mostly from an academic perspective. And in terms of plant medicine, I had always felt that if I were to get into plant medicine too early, I would use it recreationally instead of medicinally, I would use it for fun, I would become addicted, it would lead to other things, I'd have all sorts of problems. So I basically swore to myself that I would never engage in plant medicine until I was ready for it until I would treat it medicinally, rather than for fun. So I went into the corporate world. I was a um, restaurant manager for decades. And then one day I just said, I'm done with this. I'm embracing my spiritual side now. And that led to me becoming a life coach and an energy healer and wanting to dive into the plant medicine that I, that I knew about for decades. I, I knew intellectually how it works and how different traditions, what their attitudes are to plant medicine and so forth. It was time for me to try it myself. And I was probably 54 at the time. So, <laughs> uh, and it came about in a really funny way. I encountered on LinkedIn, a colleague who was basically doing the same thing I was doing. And we decided to get together for coffee and share notes. And I wasn't even thinking about plant medicine at the time. And then I just felt this sudden urge to blurt out, I want to try ayahuasca. And he said, oh, I'm a facilitator. So <laughs> that type of synchronicity brought us together. And that was about four years ago. I've had numerous journeys since then. All of them have been, for me, very safe, very effective, very healing. And I would never go back. So I'm thrilled to be part of this tradition now. Wow, that's, that's such an interesting perspective because most people come to the medicine the opposite way around, you know? So it's kind of unique that you explored so much, you know, from an intellectual perspective, an academic perspective before you decided. And, and that's, you know, also a good example to people to do some work before they go and sit with the medicine. So... Um, did you have like a calling specifically with the ayahuasca? We always talk about that people are called to this, this medicine. And because you said you, you were familiar with a lot of traditions. So what was, what, how did Yes, I had a calling to the medicine, but I think the medicine was also calling me because 
the number of synchronicities that emerged, the number of mysterious opportunities that popped up out of nowhere for me to sit in ceremony, it, it's astounding looking back on it. <laughs> there were many times where like an opportunity to sit for a weekend in ceremony would emerge. And I would think to myself, well, the timing's wrong. I've got stuff to do and I don't have the money to pay for it. And then poof, everything would rearrange itself and the money would just emerge in order for me to cover the ceremony. And that happens not once, it happened over and over and over again. It seemed like whenever there was a conflict, the conflict would magically disappear. And then there were other times where I wanted to sit in ceremony and then suddenly something would come up to block it. And I just knew that these were things like moving into place in order to support my healing and growth the most. The medicine would basically say, nope, not this weekend. It's not for you. Wait. Um, and we'll reconnect when the time is right. And the, the medicine also has been very stern, very strict. <laughs> it wants me to dive into the work that needs to be done, but it doesn't want to hold my hand too much along the way. It doesn't want to do it for me. It's been putting me in situations where it shows me something that I need to work on. And then it basically says, okay, we're going to hold you here in this pattern of awareness of what needs to be worked on, but it's up to you to do the work. And the number of times I've asked questions, you know, that were almost me giving my power away to the medicine to fix the problem for me, I would ask a question like, um, you know, uh, what should my next project be? Should I work on writing a book? And the medicine will respond back, you figure it out. So, <laughs> or um, basically, it would say, whatever you choose to do, it's going to be as successful as you allow it to be. So just choose something. And I'm not going to tell you what it is. You know, it's your responsibility to figure all of that out. So the medicine has been a very loving and yet stern mother energy all this time. There are times where I need to look at something and it will just grab my head and push my face into it and not give me any means of escape whatsoever. And then there are other times where it basically stands back and watches and says, we're going to stand here in this holding pattern until you do something. So <laughs> yeah, it's yes. been awesome. So true. So what was your original intention to, to sit with the medicine? Because uh, we always talk about set and setting and how intentions like, like um, shape or journey. So what was that you had the intellectual understanding and, and what was that motivated you to actually have the experience and what, what was initially your kind of um, purpose with it? Uh, initially, I wanted to expand my consciousness. I'd been working quite a while with a number of different techniques for consciousness expansion, such as breath work, meditation, um, lucid dreaming, and so forth. And in the work that I was doing with my clients, we were focused very heavily on getting out of this like illusion that we live in and going deep inside in order to see things as they really are and to come into alignment with 
alternate or higher dimensional awareness. And the techniques I was using were very, very powerful, but I felt like I wanted to experience more. And the plant medicine was a really awesome way for me to round out consciousness expansion. And I think one of the reasons why I came to it so late was because I think earlier in my life, it would have been more ego driven. It would have been more, you know, look at me, I'm doing ayahuasca, I'm so spiritual, that sort of thing. And I um, have found that that type of ego basically shuts down spiritual growth immediately. Uh, when you're stuck in spiritual ego, you might think that you're growing and expanding, but you've really limited yourself in, in a number of different ways. And just looking back on where I was before, I know I just have, <laughs> I know I would have been ego driven. I would have been bragging. So <laughs> let's just recap. So you were talking about, um, you know, coming later to the medicine with all this knowledge and experience and you being in different healing modalities. So you had tools and understanding of the processes already, you know, and internal search and all of this. What would you say? was different with the medicine compared to other holistic tools that you were already using, like how it was for you, how did it add to your experience and exploration? The major difference with the plant medicine is the intelligence that's built into it. I had never engaged in any activity before that had an actual loving mother type of figure that I could interact with that I could ask questions of, it would guide me, it would tell me things, it would pop up and support me, it would um, set up a curriculum for the work that needed to be done. It's as it would actually even give me a preview of what would happen in the next ceremony, it almost gave me a syllabus to work from. So the the structure and the intelligence built into it was astounding to me. And I know not everyone has that type of experience. I think that for me, I had that type of experience because I spent several years in academia and I was a college professor for a while. And that's the type of structure that I like. And it adjusted itself to fit my personality. But there were ceremonies where the medicine, Mamacita would be explaining something to me and would be coming out of ceremony and it would fade away. And then in the next ceremony, it would pick up right where it left off as if reading from a script. And the consistency of it was pretty astounding as well. In a number of ceremonies, it would often pause for a moment to say, okay, this is why we're going to be looking at this particular trauma right now. Remember back when we did this, this, and this in ceremonies 8, 10, and 12, that was laying the foundation for what we're doing right now. See how the whole puzzle fits together. It was mind-blowing to me. And some of the other plant medicines I've used since are amazing as well. And they have their own benefits, but they don't have that uh, mother figure guide that will step forth and answer questions. So that to me, that's, I don't know if it's unique with ayahuasca, but it's definitely what keeps me coming back. Now, having said that, what's really interesting is that in my last 
10 or 12 ceremonies, Mamacita has not been there at all. She's, I, I've been going into the ceremonies without her showing up. She might peek her head in. Uh, I asked her once why she wasn't showing up for me so much anymore. And she basically said, what's well, your job to turn inward now? You're becoming too reliant on this external authority. And now you need to find the answers inside yourself. So she's basically stepping away in order for me to develop a deeper relationship with the medicine. Um, and then a couple of times I would ask her outright a question and she would just, like I said before, she'd pop up, you figure it out, you're on your own. And then poof, she'd be gone. So, and that wasn't to be mean to me. That was because um, she was trying to move me into the next level of my growth cycle. So I understand that. I didn't feel abandoned at all, even though I felt a little bit sad. So. <laughs> Yeah, definitely. I, I do feel this very strong presence that you described with the ayahuasca, even compared to other master plants. I don't have such a clear feeling of, of an entity, so to say, or I don't know what word to put in. And mm -hmm. I know that the, that the Shipibos believe that she's a plant diva, which means that it's a higher form of conscious being, a higher consciousness in a form of a plant. So it's not a plant, but, but, mm -hmm. but how we humans think about a plant, but you can say it's a higher being in mm -hmm. a form of a plant. And, and that just reminded me, you know, what you, what you explained. Um, do, you, do you think that um, this particular medicine allows us to go a little bit deeper or farther than other tools, you know, that maybe other holistic tools, or as you mentioned, breathwork, body work, you know, like. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yes. Well, I think that's definitely individual because some people simply are not ready for it, or some people simply don't have, well, let, let me see if I can phrase this in a way that isn't, that doesn't sound superior, but some people are in conditions in which if they were to take plant medicine, it would probably make the condition worse. Um, and you know, certain forms of um, psychiatric illness and so forth, I think plant medicine would probably just reinforce the imbalances that are there. So it's not for everybody, definitely. I think it's really only for the people that it's called, that, um, that it calls to and that feel called to it. And it's also like, I'm, I might be just speaking from my own experience here, but I think it's important for people to engage in it when they're ready for it. Because I know that a lot of times people will do a weekend of plant ceremonies, they get all excited about it and they tell their friends, you must do this, you absolutely must do this. And they basically force them into a ceremony and they don't really have a very good experience with it or they have a nice experience, but it's not good enough. It didn't, doesn't change enough in their life for them to want to develop a relationship with the medicine. So I think that an individual's readiness is very, very important. Um, an individual's openness to it. They need to be clear of a lot of the deep belief systems based on messages we've received from other sections of society about it being illegal or evil or dangerous uh, because 
you know, one of the truisms of the human experience is that we create our reality out of our belief systems. And if you go into plant medicine, having been told your entire life that it's dangerous or it's a pathway to hell or, um, or you'll fry your brain or something like that, you may have a negative experience, not because the medicine is harmful, but because the belief system creates the reality. So I do think that for people who are ready for it and people who are called to it, it is completely and utterly transformative and life-changing and healing. And so, you know, I often, <laughs> I often joke that I sure wish every member of Congress in the United States would do ayahuasca. <laughs> Um, the world would be so much different if politicians okay. and business people everywhere did ayahuasca. But, you know, that's that's like an idealistic viewpoint. It, it, I know that it would be beneficial for society for more people to do it, um, but not necessarily everyone. Thank you for uh, pointing that out. And yeah, the preparation, the proper and responsible preparation, we often talk about this, you know, and you definitely had an extensive preparation, but even if people don't follow exactly in your footsteps, there is ways that you can prepare yourself to this experience and you should prepare yourself definitely. And this is something I learned, you know, in that such a, in a more like a hard way. So um, can you tell a few examples from your life, how did using this medicine, working with this medicine, have you personally to change certain things in your life that you were maybe challenged with or limited by? Well, the most of the work in the early sessions was focused on my relationship with my parents, especially my mother. And I had a lot of resistance to going back to the city where I was born, uh, going back to the state that I used to live in. I used to live in Kansas. I have um, profound trauma from early childhood and through my high school years. And it used to be that if I ever went home, I would just be triggered. Everything would trigger me. Every memory, every location would trigger me into a panic attack or anger or something like that. And a lot of that trauma is gone. A lot of that trauma is erased forever. My relationship, my, my mother passed away about 10 years ago, my father about 15 or 20 years ago. And uh, nothing triggers me anymore from childhood. And a few years ago, I went home for my 35th high school class reunion, and I had a magnificent time. Uh, all of the old friends, I, it, it just felt like the, the slate had been wiped clean. People that used to bully me in high school, I had a fantastic time with them. The uh, locations, I went back to the house that I grew up in absolutely no panic or anything at all emerged from that. So I feel liberated uh, in that arena of my life. And that's true for lots of different arenas in my life. It, you know, it all depends on where your trauma points are and what your major challenges in life are and what your major life lessons are. So for me, most of that has to do with intimacy, romance, and then a little bit with financial issues. And that's what we've focused on mainly. 
um, I feel like a completely different person as a result of, of the work that I've done. So <laughs> yeah. wow, that is that is so amazing. Um, well, first of all, congratulations, you know, because I know that this is not, uh, not a small overtaking, you know, to do this type of change and transformation in our life. And I think anybody who comes with this medicine will end up, you know, in childhood trauma at <laughs> mm -hmm. some point, you know, during that process, because a lot of trauma comes from there, you know, when we were not so able to cope with life, you know, and we were not so equipped. And uh, I remember that saying that if you think you're enlightened, just go home and visit your family. And <laughs> that and this is something you know as a, as a true marker of your healing and integration that when you create peace especially in your primary relationships with your family and stuff and uh, I don't know how many people can say that you know that they created peace and, and and they let go of that past pain because there's definitely a lot of work to be done there but but I think that's a good measurement for people to, to see, you know, how, how far <clears throat> they proceeded in their work, or maybe they are stuck somewhere because things are not changing, even though they are going to ceremonies all the time, but there is not real life long lasting change. Mm -hmm. That brings me to, you know, integration and that the process doesn't stop, you know, as you walk out from the ceremony. And in your case, you had many tools, you know, to, to do your own integration. Did you have any help or support with your integration? And, and, and what, uh, what do you think about, about the importance of what happens, you know, after the ceremony? Oh, that's, it's utterly important. That's, in my mind, the integration is possibly more important than the ceremony itself. I mean, the ceremony is magnificent, and it, it, it's uh, purgative, and you feel like lighter and happier afterwards, for the most part. I know some people have grueling ceremonies, and they feel bad for a couple of days because they're stuck in the imagery that came up during the ceremony. But for me, the integration is where the rubber hits the road. And I was very, very fortunate to connect with groups that have uh, significant integration support afterward. My favorite group that I sit with, um, not only do we have integration Zoom sessions once a month, every time you do a ceremony, you get an hour of integration support with one of the coaches. Uh, it's just built into the program. And you're free to talk about whatever you want to talk about in those integration sessions. There's no judgment. They're very loving. They're very supportive. Every one of them is very well trained. And of course, after the ceremony itself, we have the talking circle where the integration process begins. I think that sometimes people shut down the integration because they're like in a mad rush to get to the next ceremony. And they do ceremony after ceremony after ceremony with no integration whatsoever. And quite often, those are the people that you were referring to who are basically stuck. They don't, they don't grow. Um, when you're in the integration process as well, that's a time to be deeply reflective and really take stock of yourself. And that's really hard for a lot of people to do. Um, it's really easy for us to look at other people and say, that's her problem. That's what she needs to do to change her life. Why doesn't she do that? But it's often hard for us to do that to ourselves. 
So having somebody else guide us through the integration process, I think is essential. I think integration coaching is um, a, I'm so glad it's available. (laughs) And it's more and more known because I think 10 years ago when I started, I didn't hear about it. I didn't know about integration. I'm like, bring me the medicine, the more, the better. <laughs> like many people go from the West. So yeah, it's so, so important what you say. We emphasize it like almost every episode we talk about it and, and sharing our experiences for hopefully make it easier for people to come and who are preparing now and, and stepping into these experiences. And one reason why it's important to have support is because uh, sometimes we are not equipped you know, to deal with what is surfacing and to navigate it. And sometimes deep trauma can surface and and we we can easily become overwhelmed and especially emotionally speaking. And we talked about that a little bit in our last conversation on Clubhouse, how, you know, especially at the beginning, there is this emotional purging. There is this like emotional roller coaster, I call it when, you know, a a lot of suppressed things, emotions that we, we carried begin to come to the surface to to be released and and uh, we are so conditioned you know to to push away and to reject certain emotions and to not to express them so how was your experience especially with the emotional part and what can you share with people that could help them you know to embrace that part of the emotional healing and integration and realigning that that's happening you know when they are in this process yes i try to remind people that, you know, unless you're stuck in it, really no emotion is bad. So many of us are trained to believe that we should never have fear, or we should never have shame, that like, like fear and crying is unmanly, and real men never show their fear, they never cry, or they never um, let anyone know that they're upset unless it's anger, anger's okay. Um, we're so out of alignment with human emotions in our modern society. And the fact of the matter, like we talked about in our clubhouse uh, conversation, there really are no bad emotions. I mean, some of them are lower in energy than others, but they all have messages for us. They're all essential parts of our emotional guidance system. There is, you know, we talked all about in the clubhouse conversation, the uh, spiritual bypassing and part of spiritual bypassing is the repression of emotions because you're not supposed to feel this or that or the other thing uh, that is somehow anti-spiritual to feel certain ways. But if you really understand that those emotions are there to tell you something and to guide you into taking action to change something in your life, then you recognize the power of emotion. Uh, The medicine puts you in your emotions. It stirs up the emotions. It stirs up the pot. Uh, Sometimes it can be explosive because we have so much repression in our society. You know, men are supposed to repress their sadness and, and, um, women are not supposed to be assertive and therefore they repress a lot of, you know, they bite their tongue a lot because they're not allowed to speak their truth in certain circles. And none of that energy gets dissipated. It just gets pressurized inside you until it explodes outward. 
Uh, so I think that one of the gifts that plant medicine has had for me is that it's put me in touch with my emotions again. Um, and now I'm able to express my emotions without getting stuck in them so much. Got a long ways to go with that. It's, <laughs> uh, does that answer the question or did I go off on a tangent somewhere? <laughs> oh, absolutely. Yeah. Thank you so much. It's, it's so true that the embracing our emotional nature and, and allowing yourself uh, to feel these emotions and to express our emotions in a healthy and appropriate way, obviously, which we are not taught, as you mentioned, we are taught that certain emotions you shouldn't express and, and some others are okay to express and there's also gen can be gender specific, so on and so forth. And, and this creates, you know, serious problems long term. So this is something uh, so uh, vital for, for our healing and for our realignment, but also people can easily get stuck or just just give up on their path and their healing path when you know these intense emotions start to surface for them as you said like guilt or shame or anger that they are not familiar with and they are not embracing and they have a lot of resistance and conditioning against uh embracing you know those emotional states so that could yeah. be challenging and overwhelming for people for sure and uh, and I think it's that's one of the points when you it's good to have support it's good somebody to 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 coach you how to navigate yeah. emotional states and maybe teach you some simple tools like breath work or movement or body work or somatic experiencing or other things that can help you you know in those uh, intensity in that in that overwhelm do you have any particular tools that you use for emotional release I do, yes. And but before I talk about that, I just want to agree with you that that's one of the reasons why it's so important to connect with a qualified integration coach afterward. Someone who will give you the space and the lack of judgment to allow you to release your emotions, but also somebody who's going to recognize when you're indulging in emotions, because a lot of us indulge, a lot of us just love to vent. And we love to get like stuck in the energy of our anger or sadness, and, and it becomes self-indulgent after a while. It's important for that integration coach to be able to recognize when to rein it in again, because somebody is cascading into uh, just basking in the emotion without releasing anything. Uh, a lot of times with the clients that I've worked with, I've noticed a pattern where they will begin to vent, but then the venting feels so good that they begin to vent without actually letting go of anything. And when you, when you can recognize when somebody is in that self-indulgent pattern of venting without letting go so that they can continue venting more and more because it feels good, that's when you have to step in and, and bring them back to you know, the reality of the whole reason for venting in the first place. Um, you know, we all know those people who will get angry about something or outraged about something and they'll start venting and you'll be a sounding board for them. And they'll like go on and on about how horrible their day was. And then they'll say, thank you so much. I feel better. Thank you for allowing me to vent. But then the next person walks along and it's almost as if they've hit the reset button and they start over from scratch, venting to the next person. If you vented properly, it should be gone and you shouldn't have to start up again 
with the next person you see going into the outrage of the day. So I think it's really important for the, the coach to be um, qualified, to be experienced enough to recognize that and to uh, take action when somebody is deeply venting. So practices, <laughs> the practices that I like to do, um, I meditate a lot and I meditate in my own per personal particular way. My favorite way to meditate is walking meditation out in nature. So I go hiking. When I go hiking, it's for me, it's a meditative process. And that is the perfect place for me to turn inward and do some internal work as I'm processing whatever the energy is. So that's my personal favorite thing. Uh, yeah, you know, like you said, I also do breath work. I also do sitting meditation at home. Sometimes I do a little hape ceremony for myself, and that puts me into a field where I can rearrange energies inside myself. Uh, so there are a number of different things I do, but I am a huge fan of the hiking. Yes, nature is such a healing, you know, presence just in general. And, and, and always, you know, we say to people, go to nature and your integration and just connect and sit, <laughs> sit at the tree and <laughs> see the turn within, you know, that's, that's really um, beautiful. Thank you for sharing that. So I'm excited to dive into a little bit more juicy parts and ask you about, um, you know, um, how did you combine this whole thing or why was your special interest in sexuality and sexual healing because i don't even know anybody in in the in the field especially with the ayahuasca who would specialize in something like that and and i want to dive into this how much we need sexual healing mm -hmm. <laughs> you know so how, what would yes. you start with that well sexual healing has always been a dimension of everything that i've done way back from my early years in college, because I've always been profoundly struck by the, the damage done by the gender conditioning in our society and the way that we've often grown up in an environment in which, in which we've been told explicitly that you are like inherently sinful or you're inherently disgusting simply because you have a physical body. Um, the shame and the way control is uh, managed in our society through the use of shame and, and guilt, uh, it, it's in, incredible how that shuts people down. Uh, I've known so many people who basically end up living a lie because they've been told that their sexual orientation or their sexual desires or their nature is inherently bad. And therefore, they must pretend to be somebody that they're not. Um, authenticity gets killed in the process. And what is plant medicine other than something that brings you face to face with who you really are? So the quest for authenticity through plant medicine really often requires uh, a careful look at your own sexual history and sexual um, traumas and the release of them. Um, so when I was in college studying religion in ancient India, I studied religion in, I studied mostly Asian religions. One of the things that I focused on was um, 
religious perspectives on human sexuality and why different religious groups believe different things about human sexuality. And the thing that struck me over and over again was the limiting nature of the attitudes towards sex and the damage that those limitations cause in people's lives as they try to conform to somebody else's ideal for who they should be. Uh, and, you know, I have my own personal experiences that I don't need to go into, but uh, I do think that there is a lot of healing that needs to be done in our society and pretty much every society around the world uh, with regard to sexuality and plant medicine is, you know, it's an awesome tool for that. Mm. Yeah. Absolutely. I, I uh, yeah, thank you for sharing this. And of course, you don't have to disclose your personal history, but I, I, I assume that you have personal experience with that because most of the healers are people who are victims of abuse, you know, like. Yes, you know, there's that old adage in the coaching industry, your mess is your message. Totally. Whatever you've struggled yeah. with most in your life, that's the thing that you're probably most qualified to help others with. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. No. And I certainly, you know, I also have experience with that. And for me, plant medicine helped to access actually memories of this type of trauma that was completely suppressed into amnesia, you know, in, in yes. my mind. And, and I wasn't able to recall for a long time. And in my practice, I met several people who had very similar experience. And um, I think this is maybe this is just my small perspective of who people that I attract to, but it makes sense to me when, when, for example, childhood sexual abuse happens, the, the psyche, obviously it's a natural protection mechanism to suppress the memory and to, to fragment. And then uh, psychologically what happens is you create a fortress around it, the psychological mm -hmm. fortress that under no circumstances, never, ever, 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 you're going to go there again yeah. side of yourself. So uh, even with many therapeutic tools, even with holistic tools, sometimes people cannot access and break through. And because uh, awareness is key in healing, you cannot heal or let go that you are not aware of. That can be, I think, a big um, blockage in a lot of people is sexual healing uh, journey you know and and i feel that plant medicine especially ayahuasca is is a great ally to to help us with that and and i observe that a lot of people drawn to this particular plant who have this kind of story you know and maybe they don't even aware why they are coming but unconsciously right <clears throat> they are aware and uh, what, what is your perspective ab about this, you know, and trauma and suppressing it and then using um, plants, you know, to actually access it and increase awareness so healing can happen? Yes. So we all have, to some degree, fractured, fragmented personas. And our personalities fragment, as you say, because of traumatic experiences. Something happens that we're simply not prepared to process in the present moment. We shove it down. We don't want to look at it later, so we wall it off, and it becomes a personality fragment. And it stays there. It, it's Just because you wall something off, it doesn't mean that it's gone forever. It's like an abscess underneath a tooth. It's there, and it's going to make its presence known. And you may be completely and utterly mystified why you have 
certain attitudes and uh, desires in your core egoic persona, your surface layer persona, and yet you feel driven to do things or shy away from things because of that fragment that, you, that you've walled off. Um, that fragment has a voice and it will whisper in your ear and it will tell you, um, oh, you, you can't do this because you're a disgusting person or you can't do this because something horrific will happen if you, if you go there and then we limit ourselves. Plant medicine and all these other different modalities that we've talked about, breath work and so forth, they all have as their core goal integration integration of the persona, integration of the psyche. Uh, integration essentially means reintegrating those broken parts of yourself that you've walled off. And plant medicine is a really powerful way to break through the wall that you've created. I mean, I can't tell you how many times the medicine, Mamacita, has basically grabbed me by the shoulders and pushed me through one of those walls into a personality fragment and said, we're going to stay here until you look around. <laughs> we're going to stay here inside this fragment until you do something with it. <laughs> um, and then you release it, purge it, what, um, you know, a number of different ways to release it. Uh, I think it's exceptional, uh, exceptionally powerful for breaking down those fragments. Yes, absolutely. Thank you for pointing that out. Um, I think, you know, like obviously sexuality is so important for all of us and, and most people, you know, have some kind of limitation or challenge, I think, around it. Mm -hmm. And um, and many people today, you know, recognize that they need some kind of healing or, or they need to change certain things. Like what is your experience like in your practice in general when people looking for sexual healing can you point out like major themes that they come with that keeps recurring you know in terms of sexual healing yes well first i need to say that really nobody's going to come forth and ask for sexual healing unless they know they're ready for it uh so already there's like a self-selected group there but most of the people that come forth with sexual traumas, uh, the they reason they come forth is not because they say, oh, I have this trauma in the past and I want to deal with it. It's because they're miserable in their present life. Their sexual, their sexual life is disordered. It's unsatisfying. They're constantly having breakups. They're constantly feeling disgusted with themselves. Uh, some of them have shut down their sexuality completely, and they know they're not living their best life. They're miserable in their sex life, their intimate life. They have, you know, romantic, um, their romantic partners are abusive, and they want to break free from that. Uh, and they seem to realize that really the only way for me to break free from the abusive cycles that I find myself in is to deal with the trauma from my early childhood, which is the origin of my currently allowing myself to be abused. So it's the misery people feel in their day-to-day -day lives that brings them to the healing process for the most part. Yeah, absolutely. And it's the inability to create healthy and loving relationships. And I think that's kind of the most important thing in our lives, right? Yeah, yeah. Like, we're social beings with exactly. physical bodies. You know? <laughs> and, and we all desire to give and receive love, you know, very, very deeply. 
So um, I think, you know, when, when we recognize that it, we can't create, you know, healthy relationships, that's, that's something deeply motivating to take some steps because that kind of loneliness, isolation, you know, and, and that feeling <laughs> that's, that's very much uncomfortable and that, that can motivate some people. And as you said, some people are aware that they have sexual trauma and they will look, you know, for sexual healing for that um purpose but i i had lots of clients who were not aware that they had trauma they were just aware of the consequence of the trauma that they observe as you described you know in your life but they were like i'm i don't know why is this happening i don't know so so what is what is like the first step for people you think to take when they have enough awareness and uh, that something needs to change and they have the willingness you know to to do that like mm -hmm. what to them well you said the word right there awareness i mean aware it's essential for people to be able to look at themselves objectively and to have the awareness of the repeating patterns that are popping up in their lives sometimes people are so stuck in the pain and misery that they have that it's just impossible for them to imagine anything different and they can't see the patterns that are happening in their lives. But whenever there's a repeating negative pattern, something seems to happen over and over and over again on autopilot. In my mind, that's evidence that there is a tra trauma of some sort that is being repeated on autopilot. So this, for example, dating the same abusive person over and over and over again in different bodies that's an indication that there's some sort of traumatic experience or condition that has made you attract that type of abusive person into your life. Uh, and trauma, it's interesting. We, we think of the word trauma, we think it means that it has to be a horrific event that's out of the ordinary. Uh, you know, a rape experience or something like that, that is definitely traumatic. But trauma can also be just an unsatisfying, disappointing situation that persists for years, that you have very little power to get out of, you know, a childhood that is marked by the parents constantly screaming and fighting with each other. There may never be any like overt trauma that happens to you, but just the energy and the air that you grow up in is enough to create that trauma within you. Um, so I, I often talk about chronic trauma as opposed to acute trauma, uh, witness trauma, where you witness something happen to somebody else, but your empathy causes you to feel it as if it happened to you. Uh, trauma happens in all sorts of different contexts. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. And as you said, trauma can be something that didn't happen that should have happened. For example, having a safe environment to grow up with, yeah. you know. And there's also, this is so important, and it's almost completely overlooked, the trauma of omission. And this is something that I, I worked a lot with over this past weekend when I did a holotropic breathwork seminar. And in holotropic breathwork, they focus a lot on omission traumas. Uh, and not very many other modalities uh, tend to focus on that. But the uh, omission trauma of not being hugged 
not being given attention when you're a child. That's very traumatic for a child to uh, be in a state of need and have your mother basically say, I don't have time for you right now and walk away and leave you alone. So that type of trauma can set up a situation where you're constantly pining your entire life for attention and you're so desperate and clingy that you drive other people away and they end up abandoning you. You might think other people abandoned me, but it's that whole trauma set up by not having been touched enough as a child that leads to that situation. So lots of different types of traumatic experience. Yes, absolutely. And I want to add to that, that uh, isolation is a trauma response and not asking for help. And nobody is supposed to deal with this kind of trauma healing on their own, especially if you're not a therapist, you know, Mm -hmm. even myself, when I was going through my processes, I went to other therapists, you know, so it's, it's, you know, even not completely sufficient if you're trained because you're in your own story obviously you kind of look at it that way mm-hmm. so so just uh, shouting out to people to ask for support to ask for it it's okay to ask for support that's healthy to ask for support you know that's what you should do and support is always available and there is more and more awareness more and more trained professional you know who can who can assist people in these journeys and and uh, don't hesitate, you know, to reach out because it's it's tough to go through this anyways. You know, you don't have to do it alone and nobody has to do it alone. So um, I would love to hear some of your programs and offerings and what are you up to now and uh, how can people reach you? And uh, yeah, what are you feeling passionate about? Oh, well, thank you. So my website is sexpowersoul.com, sexpowersoul.com. And the reason I call it sex power soul is because I think that at the intersection of sexuality and spirituality, there's massive power that tends to get overlooked. Uh, So I, I focus on personal empowerment and I have a number of different courses that I teach on personal empowerment. And I created a healing system called Lightbridge. Uh, which I also teach, and uh, people can get certified in that. Uh, That's all subconscious reprogramming, but um, I call it belief sculpting because I don't work on the level of the individual belief. I help people refashion entire mythologies within their mind in order to embrace something new and better for themselves. So I do a lot of one-on-one work with people, either healing work or integration coaching. And um, I I love it. (laughs) Why Why is it so rewarding? Let's share that with the people who are listening. Why do we do this? Why do we do this? Why do we do? Why do we coach? Why do we? Yeah. Because, well, partially because it's necessary, because I don't think that my healing is the only healing that's important. I think it's important for the entire world to heal. I think that the world has a lot of misery in it. And I, like all people, I've been called to a life of service. Um, And part of my service is helping other people grow and expand and feel happy. Uh, Personally, I think that uh, my reason for existence is joy. 
And my mission in life is to spread joy. And my job is to help spread joy. So, <laughs> um, happy <laughs> and uh, yeah. totally, I totally agree. I think, you know, many people who go through this kind of transformation, like you went through or myself, um, you, you, you reach a point when you feel somewhat liberated, you know, from the suffering that, that you were in for a long while. And, and that naturally, I think it arises the need to, to share that with others, to, to, to show others and tell others that there is a way and you can be free and you can feel good. But also I think that the awareness as, as, as through our healing and awakening, we, we recognize, you know, the interconnected nature of everything and knowing that healing myself is healing the other and healing the other is healing myself and healing the earth is healing myself. And it's, it's all just one yeah. thing, you know, and, and, and it becomes, you know, just our new healing process, you know, healing this way through other people. And of course, continuing our own personal journey always. Mm -hmm being always students and teachers you know at the same time and given moments so I, I so much resonate with that and I, I would love to have you you know for at least another time because I have so many more questions that we cannot get to mm -hmm. and, uh, and I think this is such an important conversation um, to have especially in the plant medicine space when also you know there is the shadow side of plant medicine and we had podcast about that and the misuse of power and sexual abuse you know in in healing spaces so <clears throat> it's so important you know that um, people can connect with 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 people like yourself who, who are providing safe container and who is equipped and knowledgeable and and have their own experience and and are in integrity and authenticity and that's one of the reasons why i have different people on the podcast so people can tap in and feel into different people you know and and see what resonates with them so i hope that you will come back for another episode and oh, i'll definitely come back this has been a joy and yeah, well, any message that you would like to put out into the world right now? Yes. Well, let me think. <laughs> um, I just want every single person listening right now to realize that you're loved and you're essential and that your healing can heal the world. So I know that sounds like a, one of those aphorisms or, you know, something you read on a, a fortune cookie. And for some people that might sound meaningless, but it's really not. I think it's really essential for all of us to do the work that we need to do to heal ourselves. Because when you come into alignment with your internal light, you basically um, invite others and give other people the permission to do the same. So trust your healing. Absolutely. So beautiful. Healing is a spiritual activism. <laughs> That's what I always say. And uh, yeah, big shout out to all the listeners and to all the people that we love you. We are sending lots of love from our hearts to your hearts. And thank you for spending this time with us and uh, stay tuned for our next episode.